postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about informed consent and refusal during childbirth. During pregnancy and birth, it has somehow become okay for others to tell the person giving birth what they can and cannot do with their bodies, even when being subjected to unsafe care and in violation of their human and legal rights. So what can you do about it? Kristen Pescucci tells us more. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and your feedback, requests, ratings, reviews, your general support. If what you hear is helpful, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. So, all right, for today's renewed episode, I have the immense pleasure of talking with Kristen Pescucci, who is the founder of Birth Monopoly, where she advocates for a freer maternity care market, working closely with leading national advocates, organizations, and birth lawyers, as well as educating the public and healthcare providers about women's human and legal rights in childbirth. Kristen has been the vice president of the Improving Birth Organization and is the co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, as well as host of the Birth Aloud Radio, which is a wonderful podcast that she started after we first recorded this episode. Kristen is now working on a documentary film on the subject of obstetric violence called Mother May I, and I am very much looking forward to having being able to watch that, having that be done and being able to watch it. If you are a doula, you may be interested to know that Kristen has also recently released a new research page for doulas at the Birth Monopoly website that puts together really good information created by Kristen with the purpose of changing the paradigm in the doula world to one that embraces doulas as confident and powerful advocates in the birth room. And that's something that's always like difficult to navigate and we could all use some help with. So I have added the link to that to that page in the show notes. Okay, so let's get to the show. Here we go. Welcome, Kristen. It is such an immense pleasure to have you here. I'm very excited. Thank you. Yeah. So we're talking today about informed consent in childbirth mm -hmm. and, you know, things related to that. Let's start right at the bit. Like, what does that even mean? Informed consent? Right. Yeah. And how does it relate to childbirth? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's probably sort of a dry phrase that... Um, is a lot more interesting, at least to me, than it sounds. Informed consent is one of our most basic rights in our healthcare. Um, it's sort of rooted in the idea that each of us owns our own bodies, which, you know, sounds really simple and sort of, um, you know, sort of basic, but it means a lot in, um, especially in maternity care. So informed consent is the process by which a healthcare provider um, informs a patient about the risks and benefits and alternatives to anything that they're suggesting, and then gets the free, non-coerced consent of the patient to, um, to perform that procedure or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that, that also includes the right of refusal, which is really important. Um, that's the right to say no to anything um, that has to do with your with your body. So this is really critical in maternity care because just the way um, sort of that field has evolved, um, you know, women 
in throughout sort of the history of childbirth or modern history of childbirth, um, women have often been sort of treated like passive, um, passive people rather than active sort of directors in their own births. Mm -hmm. So, in a, so in a lot of, in a lot of, a lot of times, um, there's a little bit of a learning curve, um, when it comes to informed consent, because you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of routine practices and procedures and policies, um, don't necessarily come with informed consent, even though women are definitely owed informed consent. Yeah. And I do want to get to the part of talking about policy and digging deeper into what those are, what those mean, where they come from. Sure. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit more about what, so in terms of this informed consent and refusal, the right of autonomy of your body, basically, and decision making. Um, how because so i understand that how maternity field has evolved into this and it is a tricky situation where you've got the consideration of the mother and the consideration of the baby and so mm-hmm. sometimes when i speak to to you know whoever about this concept of your right is rights in childbirth there's always the but you know not if it's going to harm the baby. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's important for people to have a little bit of context um, for the system, which is, and um, I'm not saying anything new here. um, A lot of our routine procedures and policies and practices are actually harmful to babies. Um, And, a lot of the things that you see families sort of pushing back on are those very things. So families ha- are saying, huh, well, you know, I've done a bunch of research and I realized that actually um, this isn't good for the baby. And so I'm going to exercise my right to informed consent and refusal um, in this instance and say, you know, I'm going to opt for something different or um, I'm going to just say no to that thing. So I think it's really important that people understand that, um, that I think we can assume for the most part that the mother and or the parents are most concerned about the safety of the baby. And um, if we start with that, you know, it sort of um, switches the onus from, you know, what the care provider is um, sort of dictating about it to the care provider empowering the mother to make, you know, to make the the choice that's right for her and her baby. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so in terms of putting that into practice, like finding their voice and getting their wishes across, how can the laboring woman and her support team communicate with care providers to um, make sure they're heard? Yeah, well, um, I would say, you know, just to cut to the chase on the whole thing, the number one most important thing is who you pick as your care provider. Um, And I know that, you know, unfortunately, not everyone has a choice or has a lot of choice um, in that. For For those who do have a choice, I would say exercise that choice. Find someone who... Um, it's not going to be a struggle or it's not going to be a fight or it's not where you're going to have to 
figure out how to communicate with them, find someone who already communicates in those terms. And then you can skip this whole, you know, this whole issue. (laughs) Um, But of course, you can't always predict either, you know, who you get and you, you know, might have different staff members, um, you know, which, you know, those, you know, nursing staff or aides or techs, and those aren't necessarily things you can plan for. Um, But I think starting, um, starting with a sense of confidence about what your rights are and um, almost like grounded in your, in yourself, I think is really, really important um, so that you don't. So you're not automatically starting out like, um, you know, on your on your back foot that, you know, where you feel like you have to ask permission um, because it really should be the other way around. And I think developing that sense of confidence comes from educating yourself, um, from practicing how you're going to communicate, which I've made a a handout about um, just to get people sort of, you know, warmed up to that idea. Uh, I also, um, you know, for people who have the time, you know, look into nonviolent communication skills. Um, Mastering Respectful Confrontation is a great book um, by Joe Weston. And, um, you know, that, that just sense of confidence that comes from, you know, being, knowing your rights, feeling, um, feeling like a valued, respected person um, with maybe, you know, having, having a little bit of practice and what exactly you're going to say when you have some questions or you need a little more time, or you've already decided that that's something that you're going to refuse. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the two resources that you mentioned. Your handout is fantastic. So we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, and this book sounds fabulous. So we'll, I'll also link to that and, I, great. and I'll look into reading it. And, you know, it is kind of like weird and bizarre that we're having about we're talking about, you know, arming yourself with or learning techniques for nonviolent forms of communication as part of a birth skills and tools for your birth. You know, I know it seems it seems kind of ridiculous um, sometimes. But, you know, unfortunately, it's just reality, you know. Yeah. And. And there's also the fact that no matter how much you prepare, when you get to a hospital, you're placed in a in under you know you're in an environment that's completely unfamiliar to you, and mm-hmm. where there's levels of expertise around machinery and and you know things going on yeah. around you that then you feel that you're not in, yeah. you're a little out of your depth and. And right. if you're in labor, you are going into deeper states of consciousness, like you're kind right. of vulnerable and not quite there. Right. Yeah. Right. So it creates a hard... Yeah, I think that's... I'm sorry. That's, I, I just want to like emphasize yeah. that point, um, which is, you know, don't be overconfident in thinking that, you know what, I am a confident person, so I don't need to know these skills. Because like you just said... You know, the most confident person can really be intimidated in that moment. Like, I've been there. Like, I I know what that feels like. And being like, oh, my goodness. Like, like you said, I'm really out of my depth right now. And you don't want that to happen unexpectedly, you know, to go in thinking, you know, um, because I'm a confident person in, in, you know, real life, 
that that will just automatically translate into my maternity care. You know, from a personal perspective, it was, I I was so, I, I wasn't used to being treated like without a lot of respect. Um, this sounds, this sounds like such a ridiculously privileged statement, but it's just true. Um, I just wasn't used to being treated in such a sort of, um, like, like I was a child Mm -hmm. and, and so it caught me off guard, even though I went in really confidently, it was like, oh my goodness, like, I don't even know how to talk to these people because I'm so thrown off by, you know, um, by the way I'm being treated right now, it's, it's just like really bizarre to me. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, I just, my, my point is just that you can't prepare, you can't prepare too much. You, you never know how you're going to react, um, when you're under a little bit of pressure and, you know, you're dealing with some sensations in your body as well. Yeah. And you made a great point um, earlier about, you know, like like, you have this beautiful quote that I I just love, which is you can't act like a mother when you're being treated like a child. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. And the system kind of, you know, you made that great point of make sure like who you choose to be there, who's your your care provider that's the main person going to bat for you basically within this mm-hmm. this um, environment um, and paying attention to how they're treating you and how what language they're using. I mean, the, with the birth monopoly, you also have all your merchandise that says you're not allowed to not allow me. And, right. <laughs> yeah, I, that's such a incredibly to the point essential core of this whole idea of <laughs> the the care providers are allowing you to do this and this and this and this during birth right and it really is the other way around like from a legal rights point of view from a human rights point of view um from an ethical point of view it is the mother who gives or does not give permission to anyone else to do anything to her body. No matter what. Um, Yeah, it's not the other way around. Yeah. So knowing all of these things, having practice, and I encourage people to, you know, follow the link and get your your handout and then look at the phrases you have there of how to, like, get time and say no and and do practice it, um, as you mention it, Mm -hmm. even role play it, even though it, like, I always feel silly role playing, (laughs) (laughs) practicing in front of the mirror. But yeah, there's something about your body doing that muscle memory. Yeah. Well, I think it's really helpful to practice with, you know, have someone pretend to be a nurse or a doctor and, you know, have them get aggressive with you or have them get passive aggressive with you. (laughs) You know, Um, it is really helpful. I, you know, it's just one of those things you don't ever think you're going to be in that situation. And then when you are, it can be really uncomfortable. And like you said, it might feel silly, but man, are you going to be grateful for that little bit of muscle memory if you ever actually need it? Mm -hmm. So what if you've practiced your phrases and you're like, you know, you've managed many ways of saying no, thank you. And can we have more time? And you are still not being heard. Like if you need to take it to the next level, what suggestions do you have for that? Well, um, you know, I would also say something that we haven't talked about very much is the role of the partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always say that, you know, it's the mother's right and it's the mother's responsibility. But the fact is that's a really 
that's a really big um, responsibility to put on someone who's in labor. You know, when she's made it clear that, and you know, obviously I'm not talking about speaking on behalf of the mother, but you know, when she's made clear how she feels about something, if she says, for example, um, you know, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to get in bed. I'm going to walk around. And, you know, she's being repeatedly pressured to do something different. It's totally appropriate for the partner to step in and give her that space. You know, um, the power dynamic, I think, is a little bit different when it comes to, you know, the birthing person versus someone else and the partner versus someone else. Um, you know, it can be it can be really helpful to have a little bit of a united front there and say very respectfully, you know what? Um, she said that she needs to walk around. So I think we're just going to we're going to let her walk around. Thank you very much. Um, something else. I totally lost my train of thought, actually, <laughs> because, <laughs> because I wanted to say I wanted to mention but, partners. Yeah. Um, but so you were just saying your question was about, you know, if she's just not being heard, like she's sort of like repeatedly said whatever and she's not being heard. Um, right. If she's being, correct. Yeah. If she's being coerced, <laughs> coerced more into into something. Well, no, we really need to do this. And then you've said, you know, well, no, I'd like right. more time. Well, well it's our, you know, even if it's like it's our recommendation that you really should. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so there are a couple of options. Um, I would say at, at some point you might you might want to just say very firmly, I do not consent. I want you to put that in my record. Please note that in my medical records. I do not consent to the whatever, you know, the IV or, you know, whatever it is. Um, please put that in my medical records. I think that doing that um, sometimes can like break the spell of what's going on in there. When you like, when you remind someone that, you know what, like this stuff is being documented um, there's, there's a bigger, there's a bigger world than the little bubble that's happening right in this room right now. And, um, you know, I think once you, once you hear the words, I do not consent, and then, you know, to actually write those words down, I do not consent, I think is kind of powerful for, for a person who's trying to get someone to do something that they don't consent to. <laughs> um, if it's, um, uh, gosh, I t I'm so sorry. I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel well. So I just keep like, I'm having trouble with like uh, thought associations or something. Um, yeah, no, we were talking about, so, and, and I'm recovering from a break. So we're like point. both in the yeah. same point. <laughs> <laughs> I had a second point that now I can't remember. Um, I thought, do not consent. I do not consent. Um, you know, another thing you can always do. Oh, I know what it was. If it's something that, you know, they, they clearly feel really strongly about and, you know, a lot of times, frankly, you've got, you've got a nurse who she has a job to do. She's been told, you know, these are the standard practices for, you know, the average woman who comes in and all she knows is it's her job to get those things done. Um, it can be really helpful to reassure them by saying, I would be happy to sign a waiver about this thing. Um, you know, I think there's that fear of liability in the back of, of um, healthcare providers' heads a lot of times, even when they can't articulate to themselves that that is what's motivating them. So to say, look, I'd be happy to sign a waiver, sign a release that, you know, that says, 
this was the decision I made, you know, based on the information that I have and I expect, accept responsibility for, you know, my, my decision. Um, that can be, that can be an effective thing to do. And I've heard about parents, um, you know, using that sort of tactic successfully. So, mm-hmm. um, another, another thought is to bring someone else in the room. And again, this is when, you know, a doula or a partner would probably need to help out. Um, I, you know, I've heard of people asking for the chaplain to come in, um, which is, you know, sort of like a neutral third person, hopefully, (laughs) um, who might bring, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of calm and break some of the tension. Um, every, every hospital has a patient advocate or a patient liaison, um, some of them are more advocate. Some of them advocate more for patients, and some of them advocate more for their employer, which is the hospital. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, but again, you know, when you're sort of out of other options, um, you know, those are those are good kind of last resorts. Um, in really extreme situations, you know, I used to run a hotline where women would be basically in the moment and you know, would call, would, would call me and I would have to, you know, help them basically do a legal intervention. And, you know, sometimes we'd have to call the hospital with a lawyer <laughs> and say, um, you can't legally force that woman into that C-section or, you know, something like that. But hopefully, hopefully our parents aren't going to be getting anywhere close to, you know, needing that level of intervention. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I would, wow, that, that, you, that hotline no longer exists? Yeah, no, I don't really, you know, I think I would, I would definitely take a call if someone called me, but um, no, I don't, Yeah, I don't, I don't really do that very much anymore. Yeah, understood. But it, and, and it's so amazing that you were doing that and having that extra support for women in labor and also baffling and crazy that that was needed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I know. Well, you know, there's such a misunderstanding about the rights of pregnant people. I mean, such a misunderstanding. There's, you know, some places that like, I swear they've never even heard the term informed consent and refusal. Um, you know, I'm part of, you know, a bunch of different birth related groups on Facebook. And yesterday I was watching a thread in this, in this, um, labor and delivery nurse group. And someone said, you know, gosh, sometimes I get so frustrated with doctors who don't ask permission before, or even notify the woman before they do an episiotomy. And most of the nurses said, yeah, that is, you know, that's terrible. That's frustrating. You know, I definitely see that too. Sometimes, um, and then there were a couple of nurses who said, we have to ask permission. I've never even heard of a doctor asking permission. Oh, are they supposed to ask permission? Yeah. So, you know, so like I said, I think that there's just, there's just such a variation mm-hmm. <laughs> in, um, in awareness and, and practice around informed consent and refusal. And so important why we need to keep sharing these things and making sure right. people understand that yeah, they have that right. Yeah. 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 And you need to find out if you're what your provider's level of awareness and how much they implement it is, because you don't want to be in the birthing room finding out that your doctor doesn't care about informed consent. Mm. 
tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. So let's talk about that additional layer of hospital policy that affects everyone, the nurses, the staff, you, the care providers, um, mm -hmm. regardless of your of things that happen to them or, or that are brought forth of needing to happen, quote unquote, um, regardless <laughs> of their health circumstances or personal preferences. Can we talk about like where that comes from, what it means, how it affects or interacts with a person's right to inform consent and refusal? 
Um, yeah, I think that is one of the big pain points is that um, every hospital has policies and protocols that they, again, there's a variation, <laughs> um, that some hospitals view those policies and protocols as um, guidelines and some hospitals view them more as requirements. And that can be really, really tricky um, because when, when they're treating it like a requirement, then they're essentially asserting that they have the legal rights over your health care. And that is a major imposition on the rights of the person receiving the health care. Um, and you'll hear a lot of people talk about like, you know, um, my doctor said I wasn't allowed to, you know, X, Y, Z or like, you know, after the fact, um, oh, so great. They let me, you know, do whatever. And um, that's actually that's really that's really problematic, even though um, it's just a sort of longstanding dynamic and a longstanding tradition of how we talk about the relationship between patients and providers. It's it's a really harmful dynamic, you know, for, um, for birthing women to have that idea that, that, um, anyone can let or allow or not let or not allow them to do anything. Um, but a lot of, a lot of times when we're told, you know, it's hospital policy, we think, oh, well then my rights end at hospital policy. Um, the reality is like, you know, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago about nurses, nurses, Nurses are responsible for policies and protocols. Um, however, your legal rights as a patient do not are not um, uh, um, less than their obligations to their employer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, so your so your legal rights trump the preferences of the hospital whether those preferences are, you know, policies or they're just routines or they're protocols or, you know, whatever that is, you know, we're talking about our most basic civil rights here. Um, so, but, you know, like I started off saying, it's a big misunderstanding. And so it's really, it's, you know, it's not as easy as just saying to, um, saying to a healthcare provider or saying to a hospital, well, you know, I have rights and, I, you know, I disagree with your policy and I'm not going to follow it because you're talking to people who often truly believe that they do have the legal right to impose their preferences on you, um, which is why I always talk about nonviolent communication and master mastering respectful confrontation, because it, it takes some skills to, you know, sort of like directly contradict something that someone's saying to you without escalating the situation. And even more than that, keeping those people on your team, you know, um, you might need those people's help. There's a good chance, you know, um, yeah, there's I'm a good that. chance that you're going to want, right, their cooperation. And we want everybody to be on the same page. Yeah, because it's not like you, you know, say, well, no, I'm not going to, you know, not eat or drink. And then goodbye, I'm out of here. Like, you still have to do right. the you're, rest of you're your still labor be there and push. For another and, right. day, right? <laughs> so that brings in a, a, right. a great point of that. That's, that's the great fear, right, of being labeled as difficult or problematic yeah. or, or being retaliated in some way that your care deteriorates even more because you've 
refuse yeah, absolutely. to do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely, um, sadly and unfortunately, and it's, you know, something we hate to, we hate to have to talk about, but, um, you know, exercising your rights doesn't come with impunity, unfortunately, when you're in a system that is really weighted heavily against you using your rights. Um, it's not as simple as just saying, well, this is what I'm going to do and live with it. And everybody says, okay, great. Awesome. How can we support you next? You know, um, they're human beings. Um, they have emotions and they have feelings and they have motivations and fears and biases just like you do. And just like I do. And, you know, we, we have to work with that. Yeah. And I think what makes it extra hard is that a lot of those policies aren't evidence-based. They aren't necessarily what, you know, is best for mom and labor or baby, like you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And, and that's true. But again, that's probably something that you can figure out much earlier in pregnancy with your care provider. Um, when you, when you go in, you know, I always say uh, the, the best use of a birth plan is as a communication tool. The best use of a birth plan is actually during pregnancy, not necessarily in labor and delivery at the time that you're having a baby. It's a good way to determine whether or not your care provider really is a good fit for you. Um, if they are practicing evidence-based care, um, you know, because it's, it's kind of easy to find that out in, you know, in some ways it's kind of easy because when you have a birth plan and you have certain things on there, you can simply talk to your care provider and say, you know, what is your, um, how do you feel about this? Is this a standard practice for you? Is this, have you done this before? Have you done this a lot? Do you get a lot of moms asking for this? How do you feel about it? So you should be able to get a feel for that. Um, you know, some, some providers are very upfront and they'll say, you know, nope, we don't do things that way here. <laughs> um, and that's all there is to it. Um, and then other times, you know, this is, again, like one of those unfortunate things we hate to have to talk about, but um, it's sort of like, I've said before, like if you have, if you have like a boyfriend that you're, you're trying to figure out, like, does he really love me? And you're like, okay, so, so do you love me? And he's like, um, yeah, I mean, sure, of course I do. There are many ways that someone can respond to that question <laughs> that gives you an indication about whether or not they really truly love you and or are going to support what you what you want, are going to support your wishes versus I'm just going to go ahead and agree with what you're saying in this moment because it's easier for me and it will get this conversation over sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Does and, that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And then you have to be like a little, almost like a spy reading into the language that it's being used, right? D- is Did an allow or well, uh, did that slip out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but one thing I think is is to really um, – um, stretch out the conversation. You know, if, if I were trying to determine, if I were trying to like make a determination about some really important information, like I would never, you know, if I were buying a house, I wouldn't say, so isn't it a good neighborhood? And the real estate agent says, yeah, it's a great neighborhood. I wouldn't go, all right, sweet. I'll take it. Like that's, that's not how it works. Right. I would say, okay, so buy a great neighborhood, you know, um, 
how close is it to the nearest restaurant? So, you know, um, what, what school district is it? What's, what are the crime stats in the neighborhood? You know, like I would really get into what does that mean that it's a great neighborhood? Um, rather than just walking away going, okay, well, they gave me the, they said yes, you know, or they said, they said no, or they said, you know, whatever the simple answer is. Um, and if you find that they're uncomfortable talking about it more, that's kind of, that's a red flag. You know, if it's like, if you're getting the feeling that they're irritated that you want more detail or they're irritated that, you know, um, you're more, you're curious or you want more information or, um, you know, you just, you just simply want to talk about it more then that's, that's a red flag. That's a red flag that, you know, they just want to get the conversation over. And it might be that they're just telling you what you want to hear in order to accomplish that goal. Hmm. Absolutely. No, that's huge. And I think what you were speaking to at the beginning of practicing, you know, bringing your confidence into the birth and labor, you've got to bring that confidence also into your the visits with your care provider. Because sometimes yeah. it can be intimidating that you have five minutes with their, this, you know, doctor and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah, whatever, whatever. You're like not really because of a time crunch, not answering your questions. Right. But um, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> I mean, you deserve to have your questions answered. That is that is all there is to it. Um, you are the person who is at the center of that care. And um, if they don't have time for your questions, then I would really, I would really consider that seriously. If they don't have time for your questions in that moment and they're okay with providing you care like that, what's it going to be like when you're giving birth with them? Are they going to have time for you? Are they going to prioritize? your comfort and your, you know, providing you with information. Um, you know, that's, that's the last thing I would want to, you know, be in, be in that situation would be in, you know, giving birth and having a care provider refuse to, you know, elaborate on something or refuse to engage with me and just say, well, you know, that's just how we do it. Or, you know what I mean? Um, just sort of like giving you the feeling that they're in a hurry. That's, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's not good care. <laughs> no, no. And then, and then that's it. You deserve good care. So be confident and like switch it up. It's, it comes from you. Well, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to yeah. allow me. Yeah. Well, I've heard, um, I remember one woman saying that she said, every time I go to a new practitioner, you know, the first thing I say to them is, listen, I'm one of those patients. So I just want to warn you. I'm one of those patients. I want to know everything and I have lots of questions and I want to talk about everything. And, you know, and she's like very friendly and very approachable about it. But I think that's a really good way to start out, like gauge their reaction to that. Um, I was really lucky when I started with a new um, OB practice that I like walked in during pregnancy with a piece of paper that had a list of questions. And the doctor immediately said, you know what, just stop right there. I think you might be a really good fit with one of our midwives. Um, I can see you have a lot of questions and that is really what they're great at. And so she offered, you know, for me to have my next appointment with a midwife instead of with her, or one of the other OBs. And that was really awesome. I didn't even know that 
a nurse midwife or a midwife was an option. And so it was really great that she basically was just like, look, you know, <laughs> the model I follow, I don't have that much time to answer your questions, but that's important to you. Go to, go to a provider who that's important to them too. Yeah. And, and then you got proper care. So great that she recognized that. Yeah. 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 It was awesome. I was like, so shocked, you know, my prenatal care did like a 180 at that point mm -hmm. when I could like sit in an appointment for 45 minutes and, and ask questions. Yeah. And leave, a, leave feeling better than when you came in. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Kristen, do you, I know you do a lot of um, advocacy in general for, for maternity care. Do you find huh. that the system is improving? Is it changing? What What is going on to make it, you know, we've been focusing on the in the birth room, but at large, how are things doing? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, so I would say we're in a really different place than we were four years ago, in a good way. Um, in some ways, I also see it, though, as um, Improvements to maternity care were such a um, were so low on the list that I don't think people really paid attention to like birth activists and um, you know the the sort of radical health the the radical like practitioners who were trying to make change. Um, I think for a long time the the grassroots movement and the consumer movement to improve birth has been so underground that I don't think the system really saw people as a threat in a lot of ways. Um, like not a threat to like actually affecting some kind of long-term change. Um, and I see that changing a little bit now where we've, we've sort of like crossed, um, we've crossed the line between, you know, there's the system and there's the activists, you know, like, um, uh, activists are, you know, communicating with the, with the, um, maternity care system now in a way that I don't know that I think is kind of unprecedented and I think is a really, really awesome thing. So I think, you know, we're, we're definitely way further along than we were before and we have a really long way to go. Um, but it's really promising and I'm, I'm really excited about it. We have, you know, organizations that, that didn't exist before, um, that are doing really awesome work. Um, Go ahead and you know, name some of them for, for if yeah. people want to, you know, learn more about them. Um, improving birth, um, birth monopoly, evidence-based birth. Evidence-based birth is um, huge. They're actually training providers now. Um, she has an instructor program so that, you know, nurses and nurse midwives and doulas can learn about evidence-based practices and can also learn about how to implement evidence-based practice in their community, which is really, really big. That's just a resource that nothing like that has ever existed before. Um, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite resources, definitely, yeah. because of the clear, concise yeah. information and, and, and evidence-based, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hermine Hayes-Klein is an amazing international human rights lawyer. Um, she founded Human Rights in Childbirth. Um, but she herself is just an incredible activist and, um, she's just done some really, really amazing stuff. And, um, I work with her a lot and I'm excited. We have some, I think really, really cool projects cooking up right now. Um, 
sorry, not to, not to talk about myself. Obviously, you I'm, can. You know, speaking from <laughs> I'm speaking from like my my perspective here, my my perception. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I know that Improving Birth is doing a a mom's march in Washington in May, um, and that's uh, partnering with I think ACOG and ACNM. Um, and some other organizations, which I think is really, really super cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as soon as we get off the phone, I'll have like five more. Well, if you have more, <laughs> you can send them myself, to me, but... and I'll yeah, I'll I'll, t- <laughs> I'll link them. Um, but I have oh, seen. You know what? I'm sorry. I did want to mention um, VBAC facts. For yes. uh, VBAC access has actually been, you know, been sort of picking up steam and becoming a little bit more of a national priority, which is great. And Jen Camel at VBAC Facts has been doing some some great work for years on that, you know, just kind of all by herself. Um, but she, you know, she's awesome and the work she does is great. And for any parent looking for information on VBAC, um, I love the factual and unbiased approach that she takes. Mm-hmm. No, yes, I, I'm dying to have her on the show. We'll see. I'll try again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's so, bu- like, she's a busy woman. She does so many things. I, I completely understand. And she's protective of her time. Yeah. Which is, like, something we probably could all do better. <laughs> no, no, I totally she appreciate it. She and Rebecca Decker are like, yeah, like, my time is my time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I have seen, you know, like, for example, recommendations and guidelines coming from ACOG, the language change in the past yeah, years. And totally. The, the one that yeah, just came he, out. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, well, I was just going to say, actually, I'm glad you reminded me of that because earlier I was saying that, you know, there's been more communication with the medical community. Um, so, um, so I was with Improving Birth for three and a half years and... Um, one of the, or a couple of the things we did there was to, was to communicate directly with ACOG, which I remember like at the, at the time that we had the idea, I was just like, why don't we just write ACOG? Like, do people write ACOG? Like, why don't we just talk to ACOG? You know, everybody's like, oh, ACOG this and ACOG that, and you know, never is like, why don't we just talk to them? You know, um, we can do that. This is 2000, you know, whatever, this is the 2000s. We were allowed to communicate with other people and there are lots of ways to do it now. Um, so, you know, so there have been a couple of instances where we've simply written them letters or even met with them. And that is super cool because I don't think, I don't think that's ever happened before. You know, like I don't think that, um, that ACOG has ever, ever engaged with consumers ever, like Mm -hmm. to my knowledge. And I could be wrong about that. Um, but I, you know, I think that's, that's a really big deal. And one of the really eye-opening things actually about talking to ACOG is that they have, they, they have, they have this idea that they're really in touch with consumers. And, um, I definitely would not agree with that statement. So I think it was really great to be able to say like, actually guys, like, I think you don't even have a clue (laughs) what's going on. (laughs) You know, like, you know, they're, they're an elite group of doctors and they probably are seeing much more evidence-based practice in the, you know, high quality progressive facilities where they are, um, but can be very disconnected from, you know, the stuff we see in Birmingham, Alabama, or, you know, um, or even Lexington, Kentucky, where I live. 
Yeah. And I think, I think it's thank you for going and talking to ACOG <laughs> and, you know, trying to bring that communication of what showing what's really happening and what moms, you know, the consumer is experiencing and, and, and their take on it. Um, because it is at the root of all of all of this, it's communication is the key. Yeah. And yeah, totally. And I also think it communication and awareness. So even though the label might be pigeonholing. I think the media awareness and how it started to the, I want to say the the mistreatment in maternity care that's been labeled, you know, quote unquote, obstetric violence. And that's what I'm thinking. It's just very pigeonholing because it's not limited to obstetrics. Uh, well, I guess it's obstetrics, not obstetricians, but it's hard to like, you know, not link the two. Um, yeah. Having that be something that's being discussed in the media or in 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 headlines well yeah and like um that was that didn't happen by accident um you know like i was i led media strategy at improving birth for the years that i was there and that was like one of our top top goals was getting the maternity care crisis in media. And then, um, and then I made it my personal goal about obstetric violence. Um, I think, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before last. And, um, and that totally happened and it's, and it's really exploded. And, um, it's been really exciting because you can go back and, um, historically like, like do like a, a historical search on the internet and see like, the number of times that a phrase comes up or, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's really cool to look back and see that now we're talking about things that were like not even mentioned five years ago. Like we're not even in the media, um, are, are, are absolutely in the media. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, it's raising a lot of awareness and hopefully paving the road for, a much bigger conversation. Huge. And, it, and and people do need to hear these stories. And I encourage listeners to do a Google search for obstetric violence so they can see, yeah. you know, what, it, what that's about. Like, just as people don't sometimes know that they have those choices to, yeah. and from something as simple as you wear your own clothes, you know, that you don't have to wear the gown. Um, yeah, to, yeah. All those little ways that you can sort yeah. of assert your assert your humanity <laughs> yeah and 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 show that you you're not like you're not a patient you're just a woman in labor <laughs> yeah you're not sick yeah yeah right? and you're not you know you're not like an um a gadget or a what a widget on an assembly line you know that you are an individual and you expect individualized care yeah or or my favorite you know the vessel for a baby like the yeah which is very yeah. objectifying but um, yeah. the other thing in terms of, since we're talking about like all the big changes and big, big presidencies that have occurred in the past few years, um, then there's the big win with the Alabama court case where, Oh yeah, that's, can, that's sort of a big deal. Yeah. Can you, you were very much involved in this. So can you yes. like explain to people, let them know sure. what, that, what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, so that case involved um, a woman named Caroline Malatesta, who is a um, was a stay at home mom in Birmingham, Alabama, and she had three kids in sort of like the traditional Alabama way, which is a very medically managed, um, quote controlled birth. Um, and for her fourth baby, she 
got got the idea in her head that she wanted to be able to move around in labor. Um, and she um, she started doing doing some research and ab- about that same time, her um, the other <clears throat> sorry the other big hospital in her in her city Birmingham launched this advertising campaign talking about natural birth and respect for birth plans and you know but you know all the stuff that she was looking for you know um, autonomy and freedom of choice and being able to move around and you know, um, we have monitors that, that, you know, make it so that you can move around in labor and that kind of thing. So she, she met with a doctor there, confirmed all that with him, and then ended up switching to that hospital while she was, um, while she was pregnant. And she went in, she went in for the birth and she got there and everything was different from what they had advertised. Um, there was no birth tub there. Um, although they had been advertising water birth and she had been, you know, talked to her doctor about it and been cleared for a water birth. Um, they wanted her to get in bed, get her gown on, go to the bathroom. And they told her that she might not be getting out of bed again for the rest of her labor. And so she was sort of questioning the nurses, like, what do you mean? You know, my doctor said I could move around and, you know, he said I wouldn't have to be on my back and, you know. Um, the nurses, uh, the nurses were, you know, kind of irritable about it. (laughs) Um, I think they didn't appreciate that she was, you know, not simply not just complying and saying, okay. Um, she did actually comply though. She got in the bed and she got on her back for monitoring and she was, they didn't know it necessarily, but she was actually in transition and she was like ready to give birth. So she had a contraction and she flipped over to her hands and knees, which was the position she had been using throughout her entire labor to deal with contractions. And, um, they flipped her or I'm sorry. Um, so she got on her hands and knees and then the baby started coming out and she said, the baby's coming. And somebody grabbed her arm. One of the nurses grabbed her arm and pulled it out from underneath her and flipped her on her back. And another nurse held her baby's head in because the doctor wasn't there yet. And it was a really, you know, chaotic, jumbled, confusing, terrifying scene. Um, The baby came out, the doctor walked in six minutes later, the baby was allowed to be born at that time. And um, she, Caroline was really upset about the way things had happened. And she felt sort of, she felt betrayed. And then over the months after her baby's birth, she started developing some pain in her groin area. And it turned out that she had this really, really severe, rare nerve injury um, that just got worse and worse to the point where they had to move back in with her parents, um, her and her four kids and her husband, (laughs) Um, if you can imagine that. Um, because she couldn't, she couldn't take care of herself and she couldn't take care of her family. So, um, long story short, sorry, I get like all into the details on this no, story. But it, it um, is, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Like, it, yeah. 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 Um, so she, you know, she finally got diagnosed. Um, she finally, you know, had to go, nobody could figure out what was wrong with her. They told her it would be fine. Just give it time or. Um, I remember at one point they said, 
They said, well, we could just give you an injection that would effectively just kill the nerves down there. And then you'll be able to have sex again. And she was like, you mean I won't be able to feel, but I can have sex? Why would I want to do that? (laughs) You know, like it was, it was, you know, it was sort of like treatment like that, that it was just clearly not, um, not, not the highest quality. Um, and a little bit dismissive of her. So anyway, she, she finally, um, she kept trying to talk to someone at the hospital about what had happened and figure out why she wasn't allowed to move around like she had been told that she could. And at some point she had a hospital administrator on the phone and the woman just basically said, you know what, look, I've spent enough time on this. Um, we're not meeting with you and I have to go. And she hung up on her. And in that moment, Caroline said, I'm done. I'm filing a lawsuit. This she is said, ridiculous. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she was like, she's like, I had been nothing but nice and polite and just like confused up until then. And she was like, when that woman hung up on me, um, yeah, it was like, it like activated something in her. Um, so, so yeah, so she was really lucky, um, to actually, uh, she knew a lawyer, which is, you know, obviously not, not a, not common for most people, but, um, she was able to get a lawyer and they filed a lawsuit for not only her injury, but also for fraud, for recklessly misrepresenting the services that they were willing to, um, provide. They won the lawsuit, which was, I mean, a miracle. <laughs> women don't women don't win lawsuits like this. Um, and you know the the fraud case is you know the first that we've ever heard of in the country. Um, she won she won the she won the case and the jury awarded her and her husband sixteen million dollars. And it was an amazing win. Um, it was very emotional. You know, um, the jury, I think, saw very clearly what was going on in that situation. Um, I was there for the whole trial and it was um, it was just it was just a a really it seemed like a very clear cut case of just egregious behavior by this hospital. You know, that they they did this advertising with no checks and balances without, you know, without vetting anything, you know, and, and then really didn't care. They just didn't care that she was injured or that other women had, um, had potentially been harmed, um, by, by their actions. Mm. And, um, I think the jury really saw through it and gave her a whole bunch of money Yeah, (laughs) to, to, to show the hospital that they saw, they saw what was happening. Yeah. And it's a huge win on so many levels because it it speaks, you know, we started the show talking about that there is fear in terms of like from care providers and of, of liability and lawsuits. Um, oh, yeah. But this is lawsuit to the other point, right? This yeah, is, this not is... this kind of liability. Nobody brings these cases. Yeah. Right. If, you're, but... if your baby isn't severely injured or deceased, you have no case in like as, as, as a rule, <laughs> there are exceptions to that rule, but, um, but yeah. Right. So, but it's this really is rare. why this case is so, and this win is so pivotal. Right. Yeah. And you know, you, I mean, you're in this field. 
um, the, I'm not really sure how to say this, but like the carelessness with which, um, you know, information is provided and, you know, the conversations that, that women have with their care providers about how they actually practice. Um, this was sort of like a big reality check for some of that. There are hospitals all over the country that are advertising the same thing as this hospital and who also absolutely don't provide it. Um, the fact that she, this woman brought a lawsuit and won it is incredible. Yeah. And, and it speaks on, 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 you know, on so many levels, it also speaks to the fact that this hospital and other hospitals are advertising to, to trying to appeal to, yeah. towards natural childbirth, basically, right? Oh, towards, yeah. no, towards non-medicated well, I mean, birth. Right, exactly. Because they understand they, that that's what the consumer wants. That is absolutely true. We looked at a lot of their marketing materials and including like um, internal stuff. And, you know, they basically, their marketing department was tasked with beating the competition. That was the task. Um, they, you know, whoever came up with the campaign was just like, hey, moms will buy this. Moms right. will buy this. But there was no communication that we are aware of that ever came out in three years of litigation um, that they actually talked to the people determining how care was being delivered. So the nurses weren't trained to manage an unmedicated birth. The nurses didn't know how to deal with a woman who wanted to walk around in labor at that stage. The nurses didn't know how to, didn't know what to do other than to put her through, you know, the protocols that they were used to. Um, they didn't have the training or the willingness to follow through on the things that were being advertised. And so, you know, like you said, we know this happens all over the place. Um, it, it's not just this hospital. That hospital is owned by a giant corporation that owns a whole bunch of other hospitals. And guess what? They're all doing it. <laughs> without changing care still well i mean i can't i can't speak to that with any you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with any certainty like if um, like did this lawsuit specifically to this hospital and into their big, big group did it you know make changes in any way of either the marketing that, you know not not being not lying anymore or changing the actual no, care and you know it was really interesting one of the kind of shocking moments in the trial was when um the <clears throat> the hospital marketing person was asked so you know after all this has happened like we've all seen this evidence would you change the way you do your marketing and she said no. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, uh, that they just didn't, they just didn't care. <laughs> you know, like, it was just like, this is what we do to get people in the door. And if it hurts somebody along the way, well, you know, we'll, I guess we'll just pay out the award when it happens. But you know, um, you know, this is what we're going to do. I don't know. Um, actually, that's not true. I know it did. Another thing that came out during the trial was that they had been developing a new set of orders for nurses that was for low intervention or unmedicated births, which is a great thing. The problem is that they were advertising those services before they ever implemented those orders. Mm -hmm. So they were clearly like moving in that direction. However, um, you know, it wasn't 
um, it wasn't done in an, in a responsible or ethical way right. for sure. Yeah. So basically yeah. you just got to keep at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like really. And, and, and listeners, moms need to like, you know, safeguard your, your yeah. environment, safeguard your birth, like make sure your voice is heard. You um, know what? You know, I say be selfish. This is the one time in your life when you need to give yourself permission to be totally selfish. Be catered to. You deserve to be catered to. Don't people please. if it's, what? Don't people please. Like, yeah, you know, like, oh, I didn't want to say that because I didn't want to, you know, you wanted to please people around you. Yeah. Well, right. And, you know, and if that's if that's like a hard thing to to swallow or a a hard, you know, a hard way to um, carry yourself, remember that you are protecting your baby. You are the only person who can do that. We're not talking about just like, you know you know, some like spoiled woman having her every whim met. We're talking about the person who is carrying the baby and everything that affects that woman affects that baby. Whether we're talking about what she's eating to her stress levels, to her, um, her physical activity, to procedures or testing that is done um, in the course of her medical care. So it's a big responsibility. And um, you know, I think, I think we've got to be real clear about that and, and really embrace that responsibility. It's, I, I do have the right to be selfish on behalf of my baby. I do. Yeah. Cause you know what? You're going to have to be for the rest of your life. You Indeed. might as well start now. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you're right. Yes. Kristen, <laughs> thank you so, so much for this fantastic talk. I know we could talk forever, but let's Sure, you're welcome. Respect our times, right? (laughs) (laughs) Time? What's that? (laughs) Uh, I know. Um, If people want to follow what you do, get in contact, know more about your work, how can they do that? Um, They can go to birthmonopoly.com. There's there's a bunch of stuff there. And I'm actually starting a radio show um, within the next few weeks. And there will be information there about that radio show. Um, And so like that'll be out as a podcast like later. So they'll be able to listen to some of that too. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for all you do. Sure thing. Thank you as well. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode is produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Now, in preparation to renew this episode, I reached out and asked Kristen what she has for breakfast. She has half a cup of coffee or decaf in a breakfast bar if she's lucky, and on really big days, she has a couple of pieces of bacon. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada.